Hello and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. Buongiorno for you Italian listeners and followers. After all, my name is Mario Costabile. I'm your host and I am Italian. Listen, I hope you're having a great day. Thanks for tuning in. And for you new followers that are joining us, welcome. And I'm so happy that you found us. And welcome to our second season. We have an amazing season in store for you guys. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so and hit the share button. A Ray of Hope is involved in so many aspects of film, music, and events. And this podcast is an outlet just to tackle some of the more deeper topics and subjects about our faith. So how do we hear our Lord speak to us? There are ways that we can fine-tune our senses and develop our approach to discern His will for us. And we're going to share and talk about that today. Our theme is listen with the ear of your heart. Our guest today is speaker and author Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. This guy is very cool and has an amazing story. So welcome to Reason for Hope, and here we go. All right, here we are, Dave. We're back for our second season of Reason for Hope. It's good to be with you today. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You're doing pretty good? You look pretty good. Thank you. You look, <laughs> you look well-rested? Yeah, it's. I think it's the new schedule with the school. Huh? I mean, I, usually at this point in the school year, I'd have like 20 plates spinning in the air. And, and now uh, you only have 16? Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm fo- focused on yeah. teaching my classes instead Beautiful. of like, you know. That's great. So it's, it's been actually quite quite That's nice. Good. It feels like I was, for all those years, swinging like uh, 10 bats in the on-deck circle, and that bat's as light as a feather now. So yeah, so you're swinging hard. Yeah. Yeah, good. good. I like the baseball analogies, because I know you were a baseball player. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, uh, those of you that are going to be listening to this podcast now, it's going to be autumn. It's going to be fall. Uh, uh, it's a beautiful season, right? Yeah, I love it. What's your What's your favorite season? It is my favorite. It Without is a favorite? doubt. Without a doubt. Oh. Without a doubt. There's, there's, uh, there's no comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, I think first is because, like, I really don't like humid weather. Mm. Like, I, I'd never be able to live, like, somewhere where it's really, really humid. Um, so the autumn, you get that drier air. It's nice. Nice, and it gets crisp at night. Oh, the first, when you can, like, crack the windows at night when you're going to sleep, love and you that. get a real cool breeze. Oh, that's just awesome. I love it. And then uh, all these, like, little subtleties about the autumn. Like, obviously, the color's changing. But I don't know if you noticed it. Like, the, the blue of the sky gets deeper. It's dark blue. Yeah, it's just, it's incredible. And the clouds actually have like a shadow underneath them because I guess the way the the earth is tilting or whatever, and I'm not a scientist, so I don't know, you know, like, but it's just really awesome to see that. Like, so when you have those really puffy white clouds, but like the shadow underneath, and then you've got that real deep blue behind, Mm. and then you've got the colors, and the, the air is crisp and clean, it's just yeah, magic yeah. to me. It's nice. The Northeast gives you those four seasons. You know what comes to mind, actually, and uh, you're a, a doctorate of theology. You may or may not know the answer to this question, but do you think Jesus experienced the four seasons? Did it snow in Nazareth or yeah, Jerusalem? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I didn't do my doctoral dissertation on the climate of uh, <laughs> the Holy Land, so I'm not going to answer that I one. I don't think Jesus saw snow. Well, no, but but he— He's God, so he, he oh, has seen snow. Yeah, okay. 
Okay. So that that'll probably be uh, we'll, we'll probably edit that section out. But I was, you know, no, I like it. The, the Holy Spirit asked me to ask that question. So, Dave, our theme today is listen with the ear of your heart, which comes from the rule of Saint Benedict. Mm-hmm. Our guest is Deacon Harold, who's an awesome author and speaker. Um, do you know anything about him, or he's really well-known? Yeah. I mean, I know probably what you know about how, how incredible of a speaker he is, very energetic, up. Mm-hmm. Um, his books are really insightful. He's written on everything from you know, reading the scriptures to the mass to authentic masculinity. Great. Um, fantastic stuff. So, we're looking forward to hearing what he has to say. So, can you tell me a little bit about what it means to listen with the ear of your heart? especially when it relates to prayer and praying with the scriptures? Sure. Um, Actually, I wanted to start with a quote from Dei Verbum. Dei Verbum is the dogmatic constitution on divine revelation Mm -hmm. from the Second Vatican Council. And this is a beautiful quote. It says, In the sacred books, the Father who is in heaven comes lovingly to meet his children and talks with them. Mm. And talks with them. It's such a beautiful quote to me. Because the scriptures are the word of God for humanity, mm-hmm. but the word is a personal word that, that the father wants to speak to me, his son. He wants to speak a word to me, a word of love to me. He wants to help me to know his love for me, and, and he wants to call me to be all he's created me to be. And so... I think sometimes people don't look at the scripture as being a personal word. And listening with the ear of your heart is a call to listen to the scriptures, to listen to that word of the Father as a personal word for me in my life here and now. Now, when I say that God's word is a personal word, I don't mean that you have some kind of private interpretation yeah, or, right. or that God is mm-hmm. somehow giving you a message that he hasn't given to the church mm-hmm. because I think that some people really misinterpret the scripture. Right. Let me say plainly that if if you somehow get the sense that God is telling you to do something that the church says is not okay or that contradicts the teaching of scripture in the church. It's not of God. It's not of God. Right. And so, uh, the, the type of prayer, Lexio Divina, that really, like, really puts into practice this concept of, of listening to the Word of God with the ear of your heart is uh, an ancient practice. Uh, it was very much uh, put forth by the Benedictines and St. Benedict with his monks. Um, but it was, it was around before then, probably the—, um, the the fathers in the desert, the desert fathers and mothers, really? uh, practice this way of reading and praying with the scriptures. And it's basically a way of taking the scriptures, praying with them so that the scriptures become um, a part of that dialogue that I'm having with the Father. So, there's different steps to Lexio Divina, which the words mm-hmm. Lexio Divina really means divine reading. Um, and the first step is Lexio. So, that that's actually reading. So you take a passage, any passage really, and you just read it. Um, but you'd read it out loud. It's interesting to note that, um, I, I don't know if you knew this, I, it was something that I only learned as I was coming to learn more about Lexio, that 
that in older times, people didn't read in their head. Like, we're so accustomed to just reading things in our head. They read out but loud. they read out loud. Uh. And uh, there was this idea of getting all the senses involved with what they were engaging with. And I think that this is an important aspect of Lexio because we're not only reading the word, if we speak the word, we're also hearing the word. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's important. Yeah. It's an important part of the process. So you'd find a passage and you'd read it, lexio. Uh, then the second step is meditatio, meditation. Really, when you're reading the word, there's going to be a phrase, a particular word in the passage that just strikes you, just strikes your heart. Mm-hmm. And the meditatio, med- the meditation part, is an opportunity to kind of just chew on that, an opportunity to um, take that word or phrase and really sit with it and reflect and ask the question, what is God saying to me in my life right now through this word or phrase? And that's what makes it personal. Because in this personal reading, in this prayer time, God is having a word or phrase stand out in a passage to you. And and he wants to say something to you and to your life. He wants to speak to your life through that. And so taking that word or phrase and really churning it over and over and really chewing on it, I think is a, an important thing mm. to relate it to your life. Then the next step is oratio. And that's where we respond. So the word is God speaking to us, and now we speak back. We speak to God. We respond to the word that we've heard. Mm-hmm. We're responding to what we're perceiving God is trying to say to us right here and right now. And we bring that to prayer, oratio. Hmm. And then the last part is contemplatio, which is contemplation. And that's just resting in that space. You know how real close friends or lovers don't always need to be talking to each other. Just being with each other is important. And there's a lot that's communicated in the silence. So, so the next step being that resting in that word, that resting in that silence, in that loving presence, that is, I think, the you can sit there for a long time if you if you really kind of do this well. Yeah. And so that's when you're just sitting with the one who loves you. Mm. And and that's a it can be a very moving experience of prayer. And then it's interesting cuz then if you start to fade a little bit, you can come back to that word or phrase and go deeper and deeper. So you can sort of like double back in the process. It's not like, okay, I did these four steps and now I'm done. Like, you know, you right. can come back and and just really kind of reflect more and more on the word or the phrase that struck you or go back and read the whole passage again and maybe something else is going to stand out. And I think that that, you know, could could really, I think it can change people's mm-hmm. lives. Um, I think it could change people's relationship with God. It's going to change the way they interact with sure. the Word of God. So, Do you have a, a favorite passage? Uh, Actually, my favorite book of the Bible is the Song of Songs. <laughs> so, like, uh, so the whole book. Yeah, I, the Song of Songs. Yeah, the whole book, really. But I'll read one particular passage that strikes me. I got to, before you read it, um, I got to tell you, I don't know if I told you this, but I only discovered that book like maybe, I don't know, two, three years ago. And uh, I was like, wow. 
this is amazing stuff. Yeah. You know, it almost doesn't seem like, uh, you know, something that's in the Bible. Right. You know, but— Well, because it's like it's a love poem. Right. You know, from a lover to uh, his beloved. Yeah. And actually, it goes back and forth because if you have to follow the stanzas, when it's the mm-hmm. when it's the the bride who's speaking, when it's the bridegroom who's speaking, yeah, you know. Um, and I think one of the things that's tough for some people with the Song of Songs is not only because it's like, wow, it's this really passionate like literature between lovers, and how does that relate to faith and to God? So right. that might throw them a little bit, um, but also that for guys especially uh, that it's. God, who's the bridegroom, but the soul is the bride, whether mm. you're a man or a woman, mm. because the soul is always feminine yeah. in relationship with God. Right. So, like, that's even in languages, the soul is referred to as a feminine noun. So, uh, I think maybe some guys have a hard time with that, you know, perhaps. Yeah, but once you look at it the way you described it, you realize the immense um, love that God has for us. Well, that's it's just, just it. overwhelming. That's it's like, just it. wow. It's passionate. It, it, it's really. It's full. It's total. It's beloved. It's, he wants to pour himself out yeah, for us. Yeah, it's I mean, it's powerful stuff. Yeah. So, no, so check this out in this vein. This is coming from chapter four, mm-hmm. starting in verse nine. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You have ravished my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one bead of your necklace, How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfumes than any spice. Your lips drip honey, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. And the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. By the way, the fragrance of Lebanon refers to, Lebanon is filled with cedar trees. Mm -hmm. So if you know that, that smell of cedar, this is the smell that, that the author is speaking about. Now, the bride is us. Yeah. So this is what's crazy about this passage. God is saying that we've ravished his heart with one glance of our eyes. Mm. In other words, God longs for our attention and longs for us to give ourselves to him. Mm-hmm. And he's even describing a kiss there. Mm-hmm. You know, honey under your tongue. Mm-hmm. Woo! You know, like, but what God's talking about through that is that He longs for yeah. intimacy with us. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's crazy. So, it's beautiful. of course, the image is the image, kind of drawing us into that deeper meaning. But like, I would just sit with that. Check out that. You know, so much better is your love than wine. God's talking to me mm-hmm. about my love for Him. That's how much He wants yeah. my love. So you can sit with that passage and find a word or phrase, and then when you're doing your meditatio, what is God saying to me here and now? Like, He longs for my love. Am I really loving Him mm-hmm. the way He He's asking me, the the way He wants me to love Him? Am I divided in my loves? You know, am I really pouring myself out fully, like I would to my bride, mm-hmm. to Him? Like, there's. All this that you can do as you're chewing on this word. And then bring that to prayer. Lord, I want to love you more. Mm-hmm. I want to love you fully. I, w- I want you to be my all. Yeah. You know, and then just rest in that. Yeah. So there's, it's, a, it's a great, you know, Lexio Divina is a fantastic way to pray with the scriptures. Yeah. But to make the word of God a personal word that mm-hmm. speaks to my heart and my life right now.
Mm-hmm. That's awesome, Dave. Well, it's great catching up with you and, and spending some time with you and really digging deep in this in 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 the context of the Bible and and what it means. Yeah. So God bless you and uh, God bless you too. and enjoy Deacon Harold. All right. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Mariama here for Who's That Saint, where I give you three clues on one saint for you to guess before the big reveal. Who's that saint? So I'm actually excited for this saint because it's one of my favorites. Um, So maybe that's the first clue for any of you who tune into our daily chaplet. But uh, I still have three more clues for you, so don't worry about it. Here is the first clue right now. This saint was born in the Darfur region of Sudan in 1869. And at the age of eight, this saint was kidnapped into slavery, moving through the hands of many owners, some more cruel than others, and experienced the many humiliations and sufferings that come with slavery. That's the first clue. I know it's a little bit of a downer, but don't worry. It it only goes up from here. I mean, this person's a saint. Okay, clue number two. Eventually, this saint was given to a man named Augusto Michielli, who brought them to Italy with him as a nanny to his daughter, Mamina. There, this saint was brought with the young girl to a Catholic school with the Kenoshan sisters. I don't know if you've guessed it already. I know who this saint is. But to you, who is that saint? All right, are we ready for clue number three? Through her interactions with the Kenoshan sisters, this saint felt a pull towards baptism and union with the God whom, she said, she had experienced in her heart without knowing who he was ever since she was a child. She also said, Seeing the sun, the moon, and the stars, I said to myself, Who could be the master of these beautiful things? And I felt a great desire to see him, to know him, and to pay him homage. After appealing for and winning her freedom in court, this saint was made a Kenoshan sister and lived out the rest of her days as a bride of Christ. Who is that saint? Well, if you guessed St. Josephine Bikita, then you guys are correct. St. Josephine is my favorite saint for many reasons, but mostly because she was known for her joy, her peaceful presence, and her smile. Given her history, you would probably not expect that. However, she saw all of her life as a gift. In fact, in her later days, though in pain through sickness and all of her life experiences, she would respond to the question of how she was with, as the master desires. Her love of God was the most important thing to her, and it is said that she was often found kissing the baptismal font where she was first baptized and became a daughter of God. How beautiful is that? Do we think of our baptism as the day we became a daughter or son of God? I'm sure that St. Josephine wants each and every one of us to recall that day as one that is the most special because we were welcomed into the family of Christ. Thank you guys so much for playing another round of Who's That Saint? It's great to be with you. I hope you had as much fun as I did. I'll see you guys next time on another episode. But until then, St. Josephine Bakita, pray for us. Hey everyone, this is Jack, Array of Hope's audio and music production director. 
Welcome back to the Music Corner, where we talk about all things Array of Hope music. Music has a very unique ability to influence its audience and speak directly to the heart. That is our goal here in the music department, to create a sonic atmosphere of beauty and joy, faith, hope, and love, so that God can use us and our musical talents as instruments to bring each and every listener closer to the most sacred heart of Jesus. I'd like to share with you an exclusive look into an unreleased song currently in production called Praise to You. We've arranged the song in a way in which, we believe, is both radio-friendly and inspirational. It bears witness to our reason for joy and peace, stemming from our trust in the truth, whose name is Jesus. Here is a sneak peek of Praise to You. everybody we got some exciting news we have a whole new array of hope app and channel a video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to god this is available on your desktop roku apple tv iphones and android mobile phones and tablets this channel has movies short faith-filled segments live events and programs you've got to check it out Go to your app store and type in Array of Hope. Our guest today is Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. He is a powerful and compassionate evangelist and preacher whose no-nonsense approach to living and proclaiming the Catholic faith inspires everyone who hears him. He travels across the United States and around the world speaking at conferences, workshops, retreats, parish missions, high schools, and young adult events. His areas of expertise include marriage and family life, discerning the will of God, the sacraments, male spirituality, evangelization, prayer, and many others. Deacon Harold holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Economics and Business Administration from the University of Notre Dame and a Master's in Theological Studies degree from the University of Dallas. He is a host and a co-host of several popular series on EWTN and is also featured on the award-winning Chosen Faith Formation Program by Ascension Press. Deacon Harold is the author of the best-selling book, Behold the Man, A Catholic Vision of Male Spirituality. That's an awesome book, by the way. Let's welcome Deacon Harold. So Deacon, it's so wonderful to have you here on our podcast. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I mean, I've, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, a couple of years back, I think it's probably about five or six years ago, we met at World Meeting of Families. Do you, rem- you remember that? I was like one of the guys you met out of the thousands that you met. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before I, I get into it, what I like to do is I like to ask, um, our guests, uh, just a little bit about their background. You know, um, Sure. What were you like as a child? Uh, how did you grow up? What was your family like? How were you exposed to God? You know, give us a little bit of context. Yeah, so I was born in Barbados, actually, in the West Indies, in the Caribbean. Oh, wow. And I'm the first baptized Catholic in my family. So my mother was the first Catholic. She was Methodist, 
who uh, became Catholic when she was a teenager. So she did not have to be rebaptized, just confirmation and Eucharist. And so I am the oldest child of her marriage to my father. So I am the first baptized as Catholic in our family. Uh, my father was not a person of faith at all. When we wow. came to the United States, my mom, very devout Catholic with the church, and she noticed that there was something uh, in me. How I mean, I was like laser focused on what was going on at the altar. And I remember thinking there's something really cool going on up there. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but you know, I like it. <laughs> and uh, when I got old enough to serve mass, I went to Christ the King in Hillside, New Jersey. That was the parish I grew up in. That's right. And by went us. to the school, which was, yeah, which school, which was across the street, which is, I know is not open now. But uh, I remember one time I was serving mass and I had my hand on the bells mm -hmm. and uh, the priest was about to elevate the host. I remember thinking I could totally see myself doing that. And um, that was about sixth grade or so. Then uh, after grade school, I went to St. Benedict's Prep in Newark which is run by the Benedictines. Sure. And uh, sure. they had, a, yeah, they had a come and see program. And I did that program all four years of high school. Wow. And went off to college, uh, went to Notre Dame, worked for a year and then joined the monastery. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be here till I die. <laughs> you know? and, but God wow. had other plans. Um, my mom got sick. Uh, my, my, my parents divorced. My mom got sick and almost died. And I left the monastery temporarily to take care of her. My sister who was still in high school. Uh, she went to Okno school of the Holy child. And, uh, um, when I was out of the monastery, I went to a wedding and the, and met the woman that ended up being my wife. <laughs> so didn't go back to the monastery. Um, but that continued my spiritual journey. And, uh, she's from Oregon, which is how I got out here and, uh, discerned a call to the diaconate and, uh, started the program in 1997. And um, uh, was ordained in 2002. That's awesome. And I was in law enforcement for 23 years and then discerned <laughs> that God was calling me to speak at, and write full time. So I left my career, 23 years in law enforcement, 11 oh years God. as a chief wow. um, in 2012 and started and started speaking and writing full time. It's been an incredible journey. So you went yeah. to the monastery with the idea of becoming a priest. Was that is that it? Is that what? Yeah. You so yeah. So you don't you don't join a monastery to become a priest, right? But if the abbot discerns that that's something that um, that God is calling you to, in addition to becoming a monk, then you would go. Uh, once you're solemnly professed, you would, you would continue your studies um, in the uh, for, for the priesthood and become a priest eventually as well. Wow. Um, I just want to share this with you and our listeners. Um, I actually went to a monastery for the first time in my life with the Maronites uh, in Massachusetts. And uh, for those of you that are listening, you mentioned, you know, the beauty of silence, just being able to be silent in front of the Eucharist and being silent with your thoughts and really being able to listen. So I could see um, the attraction. You talked about the power of silence, you know, that that's incredible. Look, you know, I, I think one of the most underutilized parts of our faith when it comes to really seeking intimacy with God is silence, and it's particularly Eucharistic adoration. Amen. Um, yes. You know, Janet yes, Bekovic yes. asked me once, um, mm. because I have nine television series on EWTN, and she asked me once, where do I feel mostly like myself, like fully myself? And I said in Eucharistic adoration, you know, because yeah. literally you're heart to heart with God yes. mm -hmm. in that beauty, in that silence. We can block everything else and you're listening to God's voice and you're allowing that voice to change your life. And uh, that's exactly what happened to me. 
That's beautiful. It's hard thing to do, right? O- often, uh, you know, to be silent, not say anything, it gets awkward after a couple of minutes. But like any other virtue with practice, you start to become in tune, right, Deacon? Yeah, exactly right. See, the, the, the hard part in the beginning is just to silence all the other thoughts that are distracting you. <laughs> because look, we become uncomfortable with silence. It definitely in our society for sure. Um, and even sometimes even our own, our own church. I mean, think about it, right? So after the first reading, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And then boom, immediately the, 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 um, uh, the responsorial psalm. Then after that, right. you know, boom, the second reading. Then right. after that, ah, whoa, whoa, yeah, hold yeah. on. You know, God is speaking to We're getting us pounded. Yeah. <laughs> in his word. Yeah. Can we take five seconds right. to allow that word to sing into our hearts before we move on to the next thing? I mean, look, give time for God, because what is he doing? He's feeding us. We're, we're fed twice at every mass. He's feeding us and nurturing us with his word that prepares our hearts, our minds, yeah. and our souls to then receive him again, yeah. body, blood, soul, divinity in the Eucharist. Yeah, I so have, I, I mean, with that silence is, allows that space for God to work in your heart. That's perfect. You were called to become a priest. Uh, then you met the woman of your dreams, and that was kind of set by the wayside. But later on, the Lord was tugging at you to serve in the diaconate as a, you know, as a deacon, right? So maybe you can share with us that calling and um, how um, how you felt that was something that God really wanted you to do after all. Yeah. So the the, the when I left the monastery, remember I left because my mom got sick. That was the initial impetus for me leaving. And I was supposed to be out for three months until my mother um, convalesced Mm -hmm. and was able to go back to work. She was a Mm -hmm. cardiac care nurse at Beth Israel Hospital Mm -hmm. in Newark. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's when I went to the wedding. And even at the wedding, I never, I I still plan on going back to the monastery, quite frankly. Um, You know, I I said, this is nice. And I'm glad we had a nice time, but I'm going back to the monastery. And, um, but in the intervening time, we went on a couple of dates, and, and that's where things changed. But um, I, I still felt a pull or a tug, you know, um, and an, an, an unsettledness, if you will, that God was still calling me to do something. And I thought I'd be married, so we got married, and there was still that pull or that tug. There, I'm like, wow, what is this? And so um, during our first year in Oregon. Um, actually, it was during the Easter Vigil Mass in 1996 is when I discerned a call to the diaconate during the Gloria. You know, that's the part of the, the liturgy when the, the, the readings are finished, the, at least the Old Testament readings are yeah. finished, and then the, the lights come on, you blow the candles out, mm-hmm. and, and the Gloria and the bells are ringing. And it was then that I discerned um, the, a call to the diaconate. And um, so I was accepted into the program, um, but they didn't have a, a class that year, so I had to wait till 1997. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was five years, including getting a master's degree in theology, which I did from the University of Dallas. And then uh, was, again was ordained in 2002, and felt okay. Now I'm doing what God's calling me to do. I was assigned to a parish and was working my my law enforcement job and, and balancing both worlds and a family. And we had the we had four kids, including twins and, you know, all this wow. stuff. So you had your the business of life. Wow. Yeah. And it was, it was about uh, the last five or six years of my career mm-hmm. is, you know, I was speaking uh, mostly on law enforcement stuff. My, my area specialization was violence risk and threat assessment. Wow. So I was um, after nine 11, I, I received specialized training in assessing threats 
Um, and uh, I was teaching a class called Contemporary Threat Assessment Methodology at the Police Academy. So I was teaching police officers and first responders how to identify responded threats to terrorism. Um, and I was doing that uh, in Oregon. I was president of the Western Association of Campus Law Enforcement Administrators. So I was you know, moving on very well in my career. I had a, I had a uh, consulting company called Servant Enterprises where I did what's called target hardening. I would evaluate uh, processes, methods, and procedures from corporations, um, school districts, colleges, universities to, to help make them harder targets against violence and terrorism. And that's what I was doing. And speaking every once in a while on the side, on the faith, you know, I, did, I was just getting into EWTN and Catholic Answers Live and, and that kind of thing. It was more like a hobby. Hmm. But it, during the past, but it was 2011 where I felt that God was calling me to, to possibly speak and write in the Catholic faith full time wow. to like leave my career. I was like, wow. no, wow. he's like, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> he surprises but, but, us. Like, but, but to bring it back full circle was adoration. It was during adoration, yeah. a year now, a year yeah. for my mind to catch up with my heart. My heart was saying, yes, do it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit wants us. My mind was saying, are you nuts? You got a mortgage and kids in Catholic <laughs> school. That's expensive. Yeah. You know? So it took a year to really, yeah. Listen, what I did was gave, gave God permission to use me yeah. however he wanted. Amen. I remember thinking very clearly once, okay, God, I'm a clean slate. Draw all over me. And then I got scared because <laughs> I basically gave God permission yeah. for him to use me. And that and that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, that's beautiful, Deacon. And you know what? I want, I want to acknowledge and bring to the forefront, you know, um, most of us do get called by God uh, if we're listening or aware of it. Uh, but we, what you did, and which is difficult, is that, number one, we have to trust and and we have to be obedient. Um, and and in my opinion, I think that goes coinc it coincides with one another, right? I mean, you have to trust that you know God is, knows what He's doing. He's He's got He's got it together, right? He's not going to lead you somewhere that you're going to fail. And the obediency, and he, he kind of demands that of us. We we need to be obedient. And I think that's what you're, what I'm hearing from you in your story. One of the things I wanted to share with you is that when we met, um, you know, I picked up your book. I don't see if I could show it to our viewers, those of you that are seeing yeah. this. Uh, uh, Behold the Man, and and I read it, and I hadn't read it since. It's been, I think it was six years ago. Anyway, so I, I remember reading the book, and um, I was very impressed with the spiritual component, the spirituality of the book, but more importantly, geared toward a man, you know, and, and how yeah. we could be spiritually strong fathers, husbands. So maybe you can share a little bit of that with our with our listeners. Yeah, so uh, how that came about was uh, my very first series on EWTN was called Behold the Man. Um, it, was, it was a Catholic vision of male spirituality. And it was the first television series they've ever had specifically for men. And um, that, that series came about because of a paper I wrote in graduate school um, which, uh, which I was asked to, to speak on male spirituality in a parish. And then someone from the Catholic radio station was there. And that led me doing a little, little mini series on, on local Catholic radio here in, in Portland, Oregon. And then Jerry Usher, who used to be the host of Catholic Answers Live, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. came and heard my show and invited me to be at Catholic Answers Live to talk about male spirituality, mm -hmm. which I did. And so Father Mitch Pacwa, who was my scripture professor in graduate school, hears me on Catholic Answers Live and invites me to be on EWTN. 
to talk about this issue of male spirituality. Um, EW10 then invited me to do a series. And so, and so that's how all that started with EWTN. But then when, the, when I left my job, I got a call from Mark Brumley at um, Ignatius Press. He said, hey, I heard you left your job. You got time to write a book for us now. And I said, sure. And so we bounced around some ideas and, and the male spirituality book came to the top because as far as I could see from my research, there was not a book um, uh, written in the history of the church specifically addressing Catholic male spirituality. Now, there have been books um, about fatherhood, about uh, mm-hmm. virtue, mm-hmm. about you know pornography, about all these different mm-hmm. aspects of male spirituality. And there have been popes and documents from the church released for women. For example, John Paul II's Mulieris Dignitatem on the Dignity of Vocation of Women, his letter to women. Um, there have been documents on St. Joseph, Quam Quam Pluris by Pope Leo XIII. And then John Paul II wrote on the 100th anniversary of that document, wrote Radem Torres Custus, Guardian of the Redeemer, about St. Joseph. Mm. Um, in Familiaris Consortio, John Paul II's encyclical on the family, he talks about aspects of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. But there was never a comprehensive theology of what it means to be an authentically Catholic man. Because the Protestants have tons of books about male spirituality, but nothing yeah. rooted Right. In the sacraments, mm-hmm. nothing rooted in the Eucharist. Yeah. And so that's what this book attempts to do. It, what does it mean to be an authentically Catholic man? And the uh, what's called the hermeneutic or the interpretive key, the foundation for the book was, was two things. One, St. John Paul II's anthropology, that in other words, his approach to what it means to be a human, but specifically as through the lens of a Catholic man. And then also St. Paul's theology of the cross. You know, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, um, as he uh, uh, says in Galatians. Yeah. So, so uh, those that that was the idea. So I took mm. the script from the EWTN series, which was sixty pages, and turned it into a three hundred page book. Uh, wow! Which is Behold the man. Yeah. Hey, that's pretty good. Having Father uh, Mitch Pacwa as your spiritual director or, or writer. I mean, that was that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I took five class. We took, I think, five or six classes from him in graduate wow, school, that's awesome. and we became friends. I was a research assistant for him. Beautiful, and um, wow, that's and, awesome. and I learned my Greek, Greek and Hebrew from him too. So, <laughs> so maybe you could share with our listeners. So, what what do you think are the key components to male spirituality? Maybe you can kind of summarize your 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 book in in one minute or two. You know, just to give sure. our listeners an idea. Yeah, sure. Sure. So um, what difference is a Catholic man? Well, it has to be Christ crucified. Um, we, we need to see ourselves as men living our spirituality from the cross. We need to be able to see ourselves on the cross. Because for our Protestant brothers and sisters, um, especially for, for the men, there is no, there's no crucifix. Right? They have a cross. But because in their theology, you know, Christ is risen. We don't need to see Christ on the cross because we know that he conquered death. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. We understand that. But for us, um, as men, we need to see ourselves on that cross. We need to see us. Why? Christ is breaking himself open and pouring himself out in love. And we need to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out in love for our wives and children, or if you're a priest, for the church, or if you're a single man, for the culture. Mm. You know, uh, yeah. And Christ gives us the model. I've not come to be served, but to serve. So headship and leadership and authority is rooted in service. So that, remember, we're borrowing God's sacred name, Father. 
Hmm. Whether you're a, 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 a man, men like us who have wives and kids, or whether you're a priest and you're a father of a parish family, or whether you're a single man being a witness, an example of what it means to be a man in the world, we are all spiritual fathers, hmm. to, to, no matter what state in life we are. So what I try to address in the book is not just a book for married men, it's a book for men, <laughs> no matter what state. Right. And I was so honored when my archbishop uh, offered to write the foreword because he said I could totally see myself as a bishop in this book. Wow. You know, um, and so so that's that's basically the understanding there that, yes, we are the heads, but not because we're the bosses, but because we're the chief servants mm -hmm. uh, of our wives, children, the church and the culture. And in order to do that effectively, we have to we have to see ourselves on that cross, as Paul says so eloquently and so beautifully in his in his letters in the New Testament. Speak. That's beautiful. I mean, speaking of the New Testament, I know that you 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 spoke about you know your affection for the Bible, the written word. Uh, maybe you could share with our listeners, you know, the importance of that. I think sometimes Catholics overlook, um, you know, how the Lord can speak through us through scripture. Uh, sometimes we're accused as Catholics that we don't, you know, we don't read the Bible or we don't check out the Bible yet. The mass is full of scripture, you know, so maybe you can share with our listeners uh, a little bit of your insight of the importance of scripture. Uh, well, as Catholics, we are drowning. We, we are completely soaking in scripture as Catholics because almost every word that comes out of our mouth um, at mass is from the Bible. No question or doubt about it. I mean, think about it. Um, in fact, I have a little book called The Mass in Scripture that goes through the entire Mass, starts to finish, and shows where almost every single line of the Mass comes from the Bible. So, for example, in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, how we start off our Mass. Matthew 28, 19. Matthew 28 is the last chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, verse 19 are just a few verses from the end. He's about to send to the Father, and he gives what's called the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then we say, Amen. First Chronicles 16, verse 36. So in First Chronicles 16, 36, it says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And, and, and you can go line by line, literally almost every, including um, the, the Gloria, including the Confidior, um, right. Of course, all the readings, the mm -hmm. Eucharistic prayer, and you can see from the Bible, from the scriptures, where our mass comes from. It's not just made up. It's not just a tradition of men. Right. It comes from the word of God and, 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 and takes life and gives us life in that holy sacrifice of mass, uh, along with, of course, the body, blood, soul, and divinity, the fullest expression of God's love in that sacrament. But we are prepared for that sacrament by soaking in the word of God. Just a lot of Catholics don't realize that almost literally every word that we say, you can, you can at Mass, you can find it in the, in the Bible. That's beautiful. Um, our episode today is actually on Listen with the Ear of Your Heart, uh, which is a line from the Rule of St. Benedict. And uh, from your yes. you know, Benedictine background, maybe you can, you, know, you can share with our listen listeners what exactly does that mean, Deacon? Yeah, so the, that's that's actually from the very first line, the opening uh, sentence of Saint of Saint Benedict's rule for monks: "Listen, my sons, to the master's precepts and incline the ear of your heart." Because when God speaks to us, God doesn't speak to us with the ears on the side of our heads. 
God speaks to us in what's called, say, say Benedict called the arum cordis in Latin, the ear of the heart, right? Because it is the heart for the Israelites just wasn't an organ that pumped blood through the body. The heart was called the seat of the will. The heart was the place where your desire for God lives inside of you. That's where God can touch you. That's, powerful. that's where God moves you. That's where God can yeah. change your life is in your heart. So when you're when you're in that silence, you're actually heart to heart with God. You know, um, you, you're you're uh, literally adoratio. The etymology of that word means mouth to mouth. Like in um, uh, in Genesis chapter two, it, it says, um, you know, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Nishmak ruach taim in Beautiful phrase for God literally taking the breath of his divine life and in, in a very intimate way, pouring that life into us. You know, mm. so so what we're doing in adoration, we're tapping into the spirit of God that lives in us and, and asking God to uh, to make him the f- single most important priority of our lives. And when we do that, then we can become the person who God created and calls each one of us to be. That's beautiful. Um, speaking about scripture and, and, and reading it as well, uh, Lesio Divina uh, is part of the Benedictine her- heritage as well. Uh, and maybe you could share with our listeners, first of all, what that is and, and why it's so important and how the Benedictine heritage shares that and views that. Yeah, it was important to St. Benedict um, that his monks um, really immersed themselves in scripture, but not just like reading it cover to cover, but but taking a few verses at a time and really dwelling deeply on how God is working and speaking to us through those lines of scriptures. So you may take maybe one of your favorite parables or one of your favorite sections of scripture and spend some time during the day. Monks do this every single day, um, and, and, but we should follow that same practice of right. of, of Reading the scripture, contemplating the scripture, um, how is God speaking to me today in and through his word? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how is God speaking to my life and my situation and my needs and my circumstances and my heart? Well, thank you so much, Deacon. Thank you for hanging with us and sharing with me uh, your heart, your beauty, uh, uh, and love for Christ and, uh, God bless you and your work and your family and, and rock on. And if you're ever in New Jersey, come up and visit us. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Thank Amen. you so much for having me. Well, we've come to the end of another podcast. This has been fun. Please. I want to remind you to share this with others. The more people that hear the gospel, the more souls can be saved. I want to thank our donors and our supporters. Without them, this would not be possible. And if you'd like to make a donation to Array of Hope, just go to the Array of Hope website at arrayofhope.net. Also, stay in touch with us throughout the week on social media where we keep you engaged through our music, our videos, and daily reflections. There's lots of great stuff to share with you all. And listen, don't forget to subscribe to the Array of Hope channel and app. It's a great resource. I also want to remind you that we pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet daily on Instagram at 3 o'clock. So please join us where we can pray together as the Universal Church. Our guest next time will be Lisa Cotter. This young lady is fun and very exciting to listen to. So listen, thanks a lot for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Peace.